So if you look at any sin and you pull back the curtain and you look underneath there, there's a natural God-given human desire that is seeking fulfillment in an independent way, trying to get that need met apart from God. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Ron Block is the banjo player of Allison Krauss and Union Station, and now he's an author. His new book is Abiding Dependence, Moment by Moment in the Love of God. I've known Ron for 10 years or more, and I've never known an artist who is so thoroughly committed to his craft without being driven, without finding his identity in his performance. In this episode of The Habit Podcast, Ron Block talks with me about the true source of identity, repentance without negative self-talk, and getting free of the anxiety and fear that eat up an artist's processing power. Ron Block, I'm so happy to have you on the back on the, the Habit Podcast. You're one of the very first guests I had on this podcast a long time ago. And, and I'm, you are back again. I'm glad to be back. I was so surprised to learn that my old friend Ron Block had written a book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I had no idea you were writing a book until I, I saw you announce that you have a book coming out that was going to release in you know a month from whatever time it was that uh, it was just funny to, to, to <laughs> you had done all this you were secretly off writing a book and not uh, and not telling people about it. It was one of my COVID projects. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this book is called Abiding Dependence: Living Moment by Moment in the Love of God. So tell me. So you said this was one of your COVID projects. Tell me about that. Tell me how this book came to be. Well, and what's um, about these kind of things? Andrew Osenga was asked by Trillia Newbell, who is the acquisitions editor for Moody, and uh, she asked him, you know, who do you think should write a book? And Andrew Osenga said Ron Block. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm really glad he did because she got a hold of me. Yeah, we had, we had a Zoom meeting and we talked about things, and then she sh showed me how to do a book proposal, and I so I sent in a bunch of stuff. And then they, uh, you know, they it's all that kind of stuff that you have to do. Yeah, and uh, and then th they uh, she wrote to me and said they accepted the book proposal, and uh, so then I went upstairs and told Sandra, hey, I got the book proposal, and then internally I was like, oh no, now I got to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd never organized my thoughts you know, in that, to that extent, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've written lots of like one-off articles or even a series of three posts that are, that are on a, the same topic, but I've never had to organize a book length thing. So the devote, the devotional idea was a, was a really good idea because you can be somewhat unrelated in some of them. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't have to follow completely a logical train of thought like a book of theology which i wouldn't right. write which i right. wouldn't write because i'm not a trained theologian so so this book is i think 40 um uh meditations yeah 40 it's 40 days of uh just good things to think about you know dwell <laughs> can on. you be more specific uh, <laughs> good things to think about yeah, yeah when, well, when you describe this book when somebody you know when you're giving the elevator pitch or whatever what, what how do you describe uh, well, essentially, let's see, um, you know, abiding dependence is sort of the centerpiece of what the book is about. And so I start 
with how Jesus had to live. And of course, at first, I emphasize that Jesus is God. He's the mm-hmm. second person of the Trinity. Like, you know, I'm totally orthodox that way. But, you know, as I have gone on through the years and looking at the life of Jesus, you know, I realized he didn't live by his godhood. He wasn't like Tim the Enchanter in Monty Python, just, you know, like doing miracles, right? He wasn't like that. He was, he had to depend on his father. And he continually said, the father in me does the works I do as I see my father doing. Mm -hmm. And so he had to depend on his father inside of him to give Mm -hmm. him the words to say what he was supposed to do, where he was supposed to go. So he had to live exactly as we are supposed to live. We're supposed to be living with that kind of inner direction of the spirit. And so Jesus is the model of that. And Mm -hmm. then then he goes on to say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You know, Uh apart from me, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, apart from me, you can do some stuff, and then I'll help you with the big stuff. <laughs> it's like, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the essence of abiding dependence, and that's, that's the best phrase I could find to describe what he, how he lived. He was abiding in the Father, and the Father was in him, and he was depending on the Father for everything. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, go ahead. No, I was then, and of course, then it just translates to how we're supposed to be living. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think an interesting idea uh, that recurs to this book is the idea of identity, and and the idea that that you we have all these um, false ways of finding you know our sense of self, and and that our true you know, authentic self we we connect with that. By connecting with God, connecting, you know, living out of that, you know, living from a, a this the indwelling spirit, yeah. Um, and I, I, this this is a topic that I've heard you talk about many times before. And I'd love to hear you talk about it a little bit more. I mean, the, the idea of of um, identity, the authentic self. Why is it important that we that we find our, our authentic self, and how is it that you find your authentic self not by, you know, by by looking to another being that is, you know, the triune God. Um, right. Well, because he's the only, well, if you think of any other identity source, let's say, you know, like I, I did it, I did it when I was young with music, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, uh, you know, had several things happen between the age of, you know, say five years old and 13 years old that were really what I call jagged events. They were, mm. they were really deep, hard, heavy things. And they kind of kicked my self-worth mm. and security out from under me. So I went into my teens without any real sense of security. Well, right then I started playing music. Mm. And even though I was a Christian, I had no idea where I was supposed to get my self-worth. I didn't, hadn't even asked those questions. You're just yeah. sort of you know, getting it from wherever. So I began to play music. And as I got better at playing music, my sense of self-worth when I would play well was, you know, I would feel good, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, and so then as I got out and playing in bands and things, and then I played well, plus Mm -hmm. my playing did things for people like they, it moved them and made them feel things. Mm -hmm. And then that, that helped my self-worth as well. 
But the yeah. problem is, problem is what goes up must come down with a fluctuating source. You know, it's based on your behavior. So if I mm-hmm. play well, I feel good. And if I play badly, I feel bad. And I was, and so I joined Allison's band and they were really uh, glad to have me and it made me feel great. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, in the next couple of years of recording and, and making, uh, playing shows, you end up, I ended up, um, you know, kind of mentally or spiritually, whatever, crashing internally mm-hmm. because it wasn't, it started, started not to work. Yeah. My work, my worth was going down, not up. Mm. What goes up must come down. So the world sources, no matter what it is, I just give my example as an example. You can do the same thing with being a writer or being a, even being a mother or father or whatever. You can get your self-worth from anything, your job, your possessions, uh, your cars, whatever. It's only going to the world sources are going to fluctuate. And the and God is the only unchanging source of identity. So he doesn't fluctuate. Mm-hmm. His view, his view of us is solid and it stays exactly what it is. We're sons and daughters. We're holy. We're dearly loved. We're accepted in the beloved. So he sees us as acceptable and his sons and daughters. And that's the only place that I've found where I can, you know, when th- events or things kind of uh, throw me sideways, that's the only place I can go. Mm-hmm. Or is to just go to God and go, who am I? Who yeah. am I? And yeah. he, you know, and he'll tell you who you are. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, I uh, one of the things that uh, I've I mentioned identity is you know, I've heard you talk about identity uh, a lot before. I've also one of the things that, that I appreciate about the way you talk about the world is that these spiritual insights. Um, you're you're always interested in conveying those into how we live, you know, in, in the, in the world that we, the physical world we inhabit, right. These spiritual insights, you're always yeah. finding ways to make that. I mean, and even something like practicing guitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, these spiritual insights that you talk about for you are very relevant, even to guitar practice. Yeah. Because, you know, I think, I think a lot of this stuff for me just simply comes out of my need. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to get better as a musician. I'm uh-huh. not finished. I'm not finished. I feel like I'm just like understanding certain things about music now that I didn't understand before. And I want to keep getting better. So in order to do that, I have to have some basis for believing that I can get better mm-hmm. at my age. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, so like, in sports and in music, you know, sports people, high level sports people and high level music people already use these principles. Mm. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're Christians or whatever, but the principles of really believing you can do something mm-hmm. and that it's possible to you, it's, it's a form of faith, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we live by that natural faith kind of every day. We, you know, like if I sit in this chair, first, I mentally, uh, first, I wanted to, I wanted to sit down. And secondly, I have to believe that the chair is going to hold me. Yeah. And then when I sit in the chair, that's having faith. So I, a belief is not the same as having faith, right? 
I can have a belief that the chair will hold me and not sit in it. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Okay. So I can intellectually assent to the idea that the chair will hold me and then not sit in it. But if I have faith in the chair, I'm going to sit in the chair. So the the sports people and the and music high level music people they have a kind of faith that when they pick up their instrument or they work on their vocals or whatever mm-hmm. write a song they have a belief that there's going to be a good result and if there doesn't happen to be a good result that day they believe the next day there's going to be a good result and on and on and on they just keep on believing and that belief ends up in a way, creating the reality they experience. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, I'm, I can't think what my follow-up question of that is. Well, well, let me let me just continue. Like with, let me use myself as an example. Uh, you know, probably a couple of years, three years ago, I started going, well, I want to learn to flat pick a lot faster on the guitar because uh-huh. I've always been in Allison's band. The I play the kind of slow, pretty guitar yeah. and, and then banjo on the medium tempo or faster songs. Uh-huh. So I haven't worked on my flat picking, which is sort of like playing you know, faster, faster lines and things. So I haven't worked on that. But what it took was what it's taken for me has been a digging at, you know, old beliefs. So Mm -hmm. I had to, so I had to believe that I could get better. And for me, what that means as a, as a Christian, I go, well, in Christ, I have everything I need for life and godliness. That's what Uh Peter says. And in fact, Peter goes on to say, I'm a, we're partakers of the divine nature. Uh So we actually feed and sustain ourselves on the God of all possibilities. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when I sit down to practice, I sit down to practice with that attitude. I can I I have everything I need for life, which is sitting here practicing and godliness, which is, you know, dealing with dealing with uh other people and dealing with God in a way that is righteous. Uh-huh. I have everything I need inside me to do that. So so all this stuff ends up applying to playing my instruments. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It, yes. So here's my you question. Puzzle. You look a little puzzled. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the question I wanted to ask was how is how is this framing different from a straight up new agey? You know, if I put my desires out to the universe, the universe responds, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, there's a there's a I, can't, I won't say there's a truth to that. But I will say there are results to that sometimes, because like mm-hmm. now, even if let's say. Let's say somebody uh, goes to uh, he. Let's say let's say a man is an introvert, and uh-huh. his wife and his wife says, "Let's go to this party." And he goes, "I don't want to go to the party. Uh, people don't like me." Uh-huh. Okay, and then she drags him to the party, and then he uh, attempts to engage people, mm-hmm. but but his responses are kind of weird because he has the belief people don't like me. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes away from the party telling her, see, people don't like me. So his his belief was proved out in his actions, and then people responded to his actions. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, those actions caused them to be somewhat repelled, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. then he, go, he goes home with the belief reinforced. Yeah. Now, the converse is also true. If, if, if that same guy said, you know, well, people don't like me, and his wife said, well, listen. 
you know, you believe that, but why don't you try to change your belief and go there with the attitude? How about you try to like other people and go there just trying to like them and don't worry about yourself being liked. So that very attitude opens up. It doesn't matter Christian or non-Christian. Right. That very attitude opens up the soul and opens up the personhood to where people see you engage with a wholehearted acceptance mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And then then they automatically like you. <laughs> and then he then so then that guy would go home going, man, I had a great time. And it seemed like people really like me. Well, yeah. it's because he got his mind off of himself and whether or not people like him. So yeah. he, so it's a form of faith is what I'm getting. Uh-huh. At. Uh-huh. So even when you talk about the new agey stuff, there it, there is truth to that. And it, it wouldn't nobody would believe it if there wasn't truth in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what happened, I think what happened in the 80s, you know, I grew up. It largely in the 80s and we had all the new agey books and new new age bookstores and all that stuff and they were all saying you know you are christ and you know all mm-hmm. the we are christ and all this stuff well you know christians because of that reacted and then anyone talking about christ in you was a new ager mm-hmm. well i'm sorry <laughs> that makes paul a new ager paul, <laughs> yeah right you know so yeah. so it, you know it's we do have the truth and the truth can be distorted. Yeah. Yeah. We do have the truth. The truth can be distorted. So in and of ourselves, our human uh, capabilities, apart from Christ, we can do nothing mm-hmm. of, of any lasting eternal value. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so all this stuff that I write about in the book, it really does. It applies to parenting. It applies to playing guitar it applies to going to work and dealing with people at work. It literally applies to everything because Christ in us is the foundational thing to get in touch with, mm-hmm. to have a stable sense of security, identity, and worth and meaning. Yeah. And then all of our activities, all of our activities come out from that hub, that hub of Christ in us. Yeah. All of okay. all of our activities of like, I'm going to practice my guitar now. Well. Uh, do I have what it takes? Well, yeah, God said I do because yes. Christ lives in me. Oh, I'm going to go to this party now and and I don't feel like going, but Lord, I want you to live through me as if it were me living, but it's really going to be you. So I'm going to trust you that you're going to love people through me. I'm going to feel your love coming through me to other people. Mm-hmm. So you So that it applies to going to a party or a gathering. It applies to going to work or however you want to apply it. Yeah. Your your talk about the the man going to the party and and um, you know being absorbed you know self absorbed really reminds me of something something you wrote in your book um, anxiety and fear eat up processing power and get yeah. a self focus and get a yep. self focused right um, yeah and I, I like that language of eating up processing power it does you know it's like the RAM in in a computer yeah. if you got too many apps open. Mm-hmm. Then it slows slows everything down. It's the same. It's exactly the same when I practice guitar. If I have, you know, if I have, if I don't have a full hearted sense of assurance of like this is going to be awesome. I'm going to practice. I'm going to get better today. I'm going to see myself get better. If I don't have that, and I go, well, I guess I'll practice. I'm just not doing very good lately. Mm-hmm. Well, that's gonna that's gonna be a drag on my focus. Mm-hmm. So so when I'm playing, I won't have as much processing power to actually sit there and go, okay, what's actually happening when I can't do that lick? 
when mm-hmm. I mess that up every time, what is actually happening? Let me slow down and figure that out. Oh, it's my third finger is yeah. coming up too high. Like, so you won't be able to analyze things properly if your processing power is eaten up by self-absorption. So, you know, uh, uh, was it Flannery? Was it Flannery O'Connor said, uh, uh, or it was C.S. Lewis, one of them, that humility is a kind of self-forgetfulness. Mm. Yeah. So, you, so it's the opposite of being self-absorbed. And so yeah. when you approach an activity like playing guitar or recording or singing or writing, whatever, the more absorbed you can be in the activity. Yeah from a place of faith that this is going to be awesome. It might be hard in spots, but it's going to, the end result's going to be great. If you have that faith attitude and you get your mind off of what other people are going to think about it, or whether you're, you have the sufficiency to do it, get your mind off that stuff and onto the activity. It's much more productive. Yeah. That self-forgetfulness is so valuable when you, when you can get it, (laughs) you know, it's, it's it's hard to get there and it's hard to be absorbed in, the activity instead of absorb with yourself. It is. And, you know, you know, honestly, in the when I was growing up in the church, there was such an emphasis on we're horrible, filthy, rotten sinners, and we're sinners, and we're sinners, we're sinners saved by grace. And so the message, you know, the message was you're a horrible sinner, and that's basically all you're ever going to be until you die. And then Jesus is going to suddenly transform you, and then you're not going to sin anymore. Mm-hmm. And but really what the gospel is, it's not just for someday. The gospel is for right now. So in Christ, we died on the cross and we were resurrected as new creations is what Paul says. Mm-hmm. You know, if any man mm-hmm. is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So that means I don't have to focus on myself as a sinner. I'm such a sinner. Or as anything else. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. But, but like, if I, it's the same thing. It's same. I talked about this before, probably. But it's the same principle as if I, uh, when I would go, when I was going on stage with Allison, if every time I was going on stage the, in the hour beforehand, I'd go, man, I'm such a horrible musician. I'm Nobody's going to like my playing. I'm going to make so many mistakes. Well, guess what's going to happen? You know, that thing is mm-hmm. going to come to pass because I'm speaking that out with my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get on stage and be self-conscious and self-absorbed and nervous. Yeah. But, if I, but if I flip my thinking to this is going to be amazing, thank you, Lord, that I get to be here and play for these people. Thank you that you've schooled me and I've practiced and I've worked on this. And this is exactly where I'm supposed to be because you want to live through me and play music. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a different attitude than I'm a horrible, filthy, rotten sinner. I've just got to try to do the best I can. And someday I'm going to die and go to heaven. That's not the God. I got to the place in the 90s where I just said to the Lord, I said, you know, if you don't change me, forget it. Forget the whole deal. I don't want I don't I'll be I'll go be a Buddhist or something like I mean, if if I don't experience transformation, Mm. I I need transformation and not just to say stay the same my whole life. Yeah. So that's that's when I began to dig into all the identity stuff Uh and, and begin to began to figure out that what Paul and Jesus and John say about us is really the direct opposite of what a lot of teaching I had growing up said mm. about me. Mm. Rather mm. than emphasizing constantly, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, they emphasize you're the light of the world. Yeah. Your children I, think it's, I, mean, I think it's helpful to, to acknowledge 
yeah, I'm a sinner, but that's also about one of the least interesting things about me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's totally not interesting, and it's non-productive to focus on it. Uh, it's, okay. it's absolutely non-productive, you know, because it's it's an identity tag. It's an identity tag. So there's no, I don't see any problem with going, yeah, sometimes I sin. I forget that Christ lives in me, and uh, I say something snarky, or I do something that's wrong, and like, Yes, that happens. I forget that Christ lives in me. I forget to abide. Mm-hmm. I forget to uh, depend. And then I, then I sin. And, of course, the way out of that is just simply to confess it and go right back to abiding and then mm-hmm. apologize to whoever you need to apologize to. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get back walking again. And it's a practice of do. It's a practice of turning and... Uh, the the word is uh, I guess it's pronounced metanoia, which is the you know the turning you're turning from one thing to another thing. So you're turning away from your sin or the the it's really the, at the essence sin is independence. It's it's trying to walk independently of God and not seeing that you are totally dependent on Him. Mm. So the so the sinner mindset to live in the sinner mindset is to continually be uh, grabbed and captivated by temptation. Hmm. Because if I'm tempted and I go, well, I'm a horrible sinner, you know, this just I'm I'm tempted. So I'm a horrible, rotten sinner. So I'm going to I guess I got to do this because I'm a sinner. And it's not it's just not true. It's a thought. A temptation is just a thought that comes through your head. And hmm. and when we think we have to fight against those thoughts independently and we're not looking at Christ, well, of course, we're going to do stuff we shouldn't do. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You you. um you quote well, this. I'm a, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a little passage that I really appreciated from your uh, from your book that involves kind of a twofer: a quote from C.S. Lewis and a quote from George MacDonald. Um, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't fit in Tolkien in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next so, time. And, and again, the context here is you're talking about the idea of of light that that Jesus talks about as being. Uh, the light of the world, these kind of things. So if light lessens in a room, colors and details fade. As the darkness thickens, forms begin to vanish. And when the light is gone, we see nothing. In total darkness, every view looks the same. Up, down, sides, front, back. Darkness obscures all difference, all color, all detail, all beauty. C.S. Lewis wrote, How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different all the saints. Which sounds like something Chesterton would have said. Yeah, uh, yeah. That sounds more Chestertonian than than. than uh, it does. Is that from uh, um, Mere Christianity? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, no. yep. Um, and so you, you say when we try to reach, uh, when we try to achieve good ends, uh, I think I somehow typed this wrong. Uh, basically, when we try to reach good ends using the wrong means, habit lowers the light, blinds us, then binds us. Yeah, the darkness yeah. closes in. Right, um, and I, I love this from George MacDonald. Um, For all wickedness tends to destroy individuality, and declining natures assimilate as, as they, they sink. sink. Yeah, that is yeah. so good. And, it is good. And so, I mean, again, the question of getting in touch with with my um, authentic self um, is a matter of living in the light, and and. And not, you know, 
and not being what's sort of assimilated, amalgamated with where everything starts to look the same, but but our our own unique uniqueness and originality. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about all the tyrants, you know, like uh, Lewis said, yeah. you think about you know Saddam Hussein and Mussolini and all those guys. They're all the same person. Mm-hmm. They're just stomping around angry, and you know it's the same. It's all the same person. There's no colors and details yeah. of the personality. Yeah. So, but I think at the root of that, what I was saying in that chapter on you know light and seeing and darkness, at the root of at the root of any sin, let's just talk about that. At the root of any temptation, let's mm-hmm. say, there's a need that we have that is a valid human need. Mm-hmm. At the mm-hmm. root of any temptation, there's a need. So, so uh, even if that, that need, uh, the temptation twists the need at the root of it, like a, let's say I gave the example, I think, of uh, uh, you know, a, an addict, a drug mm-hmm. addict. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, at some point that person went off the rails because they, were, they wanted to change how they felt about mm-hmm. themselves. And they didn't like how they felt and they didn't like themselves. Right. So they were reaching for something that would deaden that feeling. Mm -hmm. Not true in all cases, probably, but like, let's just use that example. So we have an, we have a need to like ourselves. We have a need to feel that we're worth something. We have a need to have a sense of security and stability and that life is worth living. Well, you know, some people end up trying to find that through drugs. Mm -hmm that to find a sense of meaning and purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so at the, at the root and, uh, and then I give another example, the narcissist, you know, yeah. uh, ends up controlling other people because they feel they're deep down. The narcissist is terrified that right. life, that life is not in their control. I've watched a lot of stuff on narcissism and uh, the, the, they feel life is not in their control and they're terrified. And so they have to manipulate and feel that they're in control over other people. Mm-hmm. So, but that need to feel like we're in control of our lives is not a sin. It's simply like, that's just a natural human desire, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at any sin and you pull back the curtain and you look underneath there, there's a natural God given human desire that is seeking fulfillment in an independent way, trying to get that need met apart from God. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Sure. So we not only so we not only try to get our identity and worth and meaning from good things like being, you know, getting higher and higher in a company or becoming a better and better musician or writing new books, whatever. We not only do or or some some people by being very religious. Mm-hmm. And doing lots of good works and all that kind of stuff, which nothing wrong with any of those things. But uh, some people get the, get are trying to find identity and worth and meaning in bad things, like being a thief or 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 uh, uh, drugs or you name it. Like whatever mm-hmm. they're trying, everyone's trying to find these things. But the problem is they're in the wrong tree. Yeah. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's good and evil. So mm-hmm. you can go to the good side and climb and be the highest, most respected religious person on the planet and not know Christ at all. Yeah, because you're still in the wrong. Yeah, still you're in the wrong. Tree. You're, you're in the, the wrong tree. Of, 
Yeah. Good side or bad side, it's this, it's the wrong tree. So that's what I'm saying. Like the the tree of life is the connection to God and Christ and the Holy Spirit as your absolute rock bottom sense of worth, security, and meaning. Yeah. That's it. That's really what it comes down to. And that's the, really the message of the book is that is it's the hope, my hope that people through reading it would people who aren't as aware of that would become aware of like, hey, I need I need this. I need mm-hmm. I need because it's my book is the, the devotional is just a pointer is all it is. It's not some great theological work. I'm just saying it's over there. It's right here. Look, look at this. Look at look at Christ. Look at how he lived. This this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be living from that sense of fullness and sufficiency. Yeah. And not from I'm a horrible, filthy, rotten sinner and mm-hmm. hanging our head every day and being self-conscious and self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about rest for a minute? Yeah. Um you you talk there's one one of your meditations is on you know in, involves rest it's actually i think it's a meditation the title is about weakness but you end up talking about rest yeah um and and you say rest is not passivity right um and i want to hear more about that yeah you know, i think it, i know a little bit about your your commitment to practice you work yeah. really hard at your craft um that doesn't look like that doesn't look restful right from where, from yeah, where yeah. i sit I, th- I think about you getting up and you know picking a banjo or a guitar for hours yeah, yeah. and working really hard at it that doesn't right. sound restful to me so so tell me about talk to me about that so so if like okay so let's say uh let's say i have um let's say i have 50 dollars in the bank okay and and I need to buy a hundred dollars worth of groceries, right? Yeah. So I go to the grocery store and I've only got fifty dollars, but I need a hundred dollars worth of groceries. Nice. So I buy from strain because I keep going. I need that, but I can't. I guess I'll get this instead. Which one do I get? So there's this all these questions and struggle and strife because I don't have the resources to meet the need, mm-hmm. right? But if I go to the grocery store with $1,000 in the bank mm-hmm. and I need to buy $100 of groceries, I buy from rest mm-hmm. because I just buy what I need. Yeah. So, so in practicing, if I come downstairs, if I would come downstairs with an attitude of like, oh, I just need to get better. I'm just not good enough. And you know, I don't know. I've been working so hard and I'm just not getting any better. And I don't know why. And I guess, I guess, you know, so-and-so was right. I'm not talented. Right. <laughs> so then I go to practice from strain yeah. because I don't have the inner resources to meet the need. The, the need is to get better. And I don't have the inner resources to do that. So I lose hope. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have the necessary fuel to continue practicing. So then I, I get frustrated and I put the guitar down and I go upstairs and, you know, watch Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that happens all the time to musicians. I know lots of musicians that, that, you know, that not necessarily pro level musicians, but musicians that do that. They have that sense of like, well, I guess I'm just not as talented and they believe these things. So they operate from strain mm-hmm. and that makes guitar playing unpleasant. <laughs> 
It does. It's like, it it might be fun for a little bit and you play the few little things that you know, but then when it comes to learning new things, you don't know how and you don't feel you can. Mm -hmm. So that's operating from strain. But when I come downstairs to practice, I come downstairs, I get my guitar out with kind of an eagerness because I go, I can't wait to get to where I'm warmed up. You know, it takes me about 15 minutes where I'm, you know, really paying attention to my technique and then I warm up and then it mm-hmm. feels, um, it feels awesome. I go, this is yeah. great. Now I can learn all kinds of stuff. So yeah. I operate, I'm operating more and more from a sense of rest. And so yeah. that sense of rest gives me, gives me the faith and hope, the hope for Now hope is just expectation of future good. Mm-hmm. Right. So as I'm practicing, I have an expectation of like, man, the next year or two is going to be killer because I'm getting better and better. And I'm going to be able to make better music, go out and play with more people and have much more fun because I'm getting better. So there's this sense of expectation of future good. That's hope. Hmm. So the hope drives my practicing. The hope drives my practicing and fuels the doing. So the doing doesn't even feel like work. Mm -hmm. It's passion, right? Yeah. And that's only... That that's possible because you are we're coming from a place of rest, not strain, and not yeah from from a place of really believing that yeah. what I am doing will affect change yeah and and will actually uh, have beneficial um, things in my future. It'll bring yeah. benefit. Yeah. Right. Okay. So tell me about um, when you. You, you said you've never written a book before. You've written some, you know, you've, you've written shorter things here and there, but you're launching into a, a new, you know, a, a new art form when you wrote this book. Um, what was, can you tell me that's a little bit, seems to me that's a little bit different from, from I've been doing, you know, music guitar for decades and you've gotten used to the idea of good things that happen when you when you play. Mm-hmm. Um, was it harder to to enter into the idea that as I sit down and write and and discipline myself in this way, good things are going to happen? Yeah, oh. it it uh, you know for me it's like it's like songwriting. I've 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 written a lot of songs. Allison has done, and I've written a lot for my own records. But like I've never been a songwriter. You know, I've, I've always been a player and a harmony singer. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's the same thing as with songwriting. I've saw, I've written songs when the need arises, mm-hmm. but the problem is without the discipline of writing songs, if a need arises and that need has contains a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I got to write this song. Well, once that pressure starts, then you lose the childlike aspect of play. Mm-hmm. And then you're no longer playing with, sonic material you're actually going okay this has got to be good Mm -hmm. and the minute you do that you're self-conscious and self-absorbed and you lost the humility of the child trying to create yeah right so so it was the same it was the same with the book and it's one of the reasons i procrastinated early on um you know i i've written tons of just articles and blog posts and stuff like that and sometimes i don't i mean i go through and edit but sometimes i'm not super careful in going, okay, I said this already. And, you know, I just kind of toss it out there and, but it's been beneficial for me to do that 
and do it like a child and not worry about it being perfect. Yeah. So writing a book, though, is, you know, you you have to think about, you know, what you're saying, especially to Christians, because, well, for example, early on, I was talking about some of this stuff to Trillia. And, uh, and she mentioned, she said, you know, I told her about what, what the chapters were going to be about. And she goes, and she goes, but you do believe Jesus was God, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I went, okay, I got to emphasize that. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but in my blindness, I would not have emphasized that as much because I thought I just assumed on the part of the reader Mm -hmm. that they would, that they would know that, but they would assume that I didn't believe that. Yeah. So Trillia basically saved me from having however many people write to me saying you're not a Christian because yeah, you don't right. believe Jesus was God. Right. Yeah. So the I start out the first chapter with that. So so I procrastinated a lot because of the sense of pressure once I got the book deal. That's what I meant right. earlier on, where yeah. I was like, Oh no, I gotta write a book now. Yeah. But but yeah, I think it's quite as playful when there's a book contract. Yeah, it's a book contract, and you know, it's like uh, there, there's an expectation and there's a deadline. Yeah, and that's where it gets uh, less like a child playing, and all of a sudden, I got to please people, mm-hmm. and that's that's where the pressure comes from. So, yes, it was very different writing a book than you know playing my guitar. It really or playing my banjo. It's very very different. Um, but as I went along, I began to enter into the spirit of sort of playing with ideas Mm -hmm. and words. And I would just sort of write and see what came out. And sometimes, sometimes it was, sometimes it was crap. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then I would just not, I just kept those on my hard drive or deleted them or whatever. And and then went on to the next thing the next day, you know, but that's that thing of, that's that thing of persevering and hope. Like the hope gives you perseverance. So I had yeah. a bad day or two bad days, and then I just keep doing it and then go, well, you know, I'm there's good thoughts are going to come. You just, yeah, you keep going and, yeah. uh, and you don't stop. Yeah, man. A bad day of writing doesn't mean you're a bad writer. Right. It's how I used to, uh, our, our daughter would play, um, be playing piano upstairs. She was probably about 15, you know, she'd be practicing piano, some ragtime piece or something. And I'd stick my head in and go, hey, Erica. And she'd stop. She'd go, yeah, Dad. I go, Erica, just remember when you make a mistake, it means you're a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) And she'd go, thanks, Dad. (laughs) Thanks for that advice, Dad. (laughs) You know, it was making fun of the the whole idea that that you get your identity from it. Yeah. 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 All right. We're about to run out of time. Uh, But I do want to hear from you. uh, Who are the writers who make you want to write? Oh, you know, C.S. Lewis is huge. I just love, I love his conversational kind of tone Mm -hmm. Uh, when he wrote those books, you know, Mere Christianity, uh, even Screwtape Letters and all that, even the fiction stuff. It's this very easy conversational kind of writing that's that's very engaging. So I love Lewis. Uh, Of course, MacDonald is more dense, Mm -hmm. uh, both in his writing style and sometimes not in a great way because sometimes yeah. he goes on. Sometimes I go, you could have used an editor. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but there's something that comes through McDonald that does not come through any other writer. Yeah. There is, there's something of the spirit of God that comes through that guy's writing and the sort of deep archetypal 
images come through his writing that are really will really affect you in almost a in a well a very mysterious way. Yeah, I was going to say a mystical way, but that word has been you know misused so much. But <laughs> sure. like in a very mysterious way, mm-hmm. he affects you at a at a root level. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. love McDonald, uh, Tolkien, of course, and then and then also uh, an influence on this book is like Andrew Marie mm-hmm. and writers like that, uh, G. Campbell Morgan. A.W. Tozer, uh, Major Ian Thomas, all these, um, you know, Christian writers that wrote, basically wrote and kept talking about Christ in you as the source of, you know, all of our, everything we're looking for. Yeah. 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 All right, Ron. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being here. And um, I hope lots of people read it and benefit from it. I hope so, too. (laughs) See you soon. (laughs) Take care. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. 